Prize picks is the easiest and most exciting way to get in on the action. Whether you watch your favorite sports and players, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. New Year's is now in the rearview mirror. By now, some of the excitement about our New Year's resolutions may be dying down, much like my excitement for Chelsea Football Club as we get further and further into the season. If you're looking for performance apparel that can help give you the extra push you need to keep up with your health goals, Viore has you covered. Viore creates incredibly versatile and comfortable activewear designed to look great in everyday life in and out of the gym, or in my case, on or off the tennis court. Plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint by offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond. They are utilizing better sustainable materials for their products, empowering your best active life. With Viore, you can feel good about the things you buy and also how they are made. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash MIB. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash MIB. Not only Will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns? Trust me, go to viore.com slash MIB and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. I'm Ian Dark, and you're listening to Men in Blazers, sub-optimal radio on the Grandland Network. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! Far from the crap part of Soho, in the well-polished corridors of 30 Rock, this is Men in Blazers. A special show, not just because we're a world away from Davo's office, the great man himself is away making television's next ratings buster. Fear not, we've drafted in a guest of honour, a man who won the World Cup and the Euros as one of the most feared strikers in the 80s and 90s, who as manager led the German team to third place in the 2006 World Cup, and who was coach of our beloved US men's team, propelled America's finest to the best winning percentage they've ever posted in a calendar year. Fresh off a snowy three points, a March of the Penguins-style win in Denver, and a valiant draw in Mexico City. Welcome to Men in Blazers, Jürgen Klinsmann. Jürgen, congratulations on a remarkable couple of weeks. The false start in Honduras, slew of injuries, an inexperienced squad, a chorus of critical naysayers, but you leave Mexico City, four points in the bag, and a little bit of the swagger back. Yeah, I think, you know, overall we can be very pleased with how things are going. Um, obviously, World Cup qualifying here in the North and Central American region is not an easy task, you know, and we uh, unfortunately had a, a draw with three away games out of the first four games. So we kind of lost, uh, uh, disappointingly, the first one in Honduras. We were not able there to adjust to the climate and time change and all that stuff for our European guys. Uh, but we corrected that with a win against Costa Rica in a snow blizzard <laughs> and then going down to the Azteca Stadium and, and got a point out of a place where it's really tough to uh, to get results. And, and so we are looking into hopefully a, a very, very positive 2013. I, mean, I, I recently had the honor of speaking to the legendary U.S. coach Bob Gansler, the man who led the team to the 1990 World Cup. And he said, as a coach, you want to preach high lows, low highs. He said, no risk cutting when you lose. No jumping to meet the sky when you win. 
Uh, can you describe your emotions when you left the Azteca with that clean sheet? And where, where do you feel the team are right now? I, I mean, obviously, between two World Cup cycles, a team is always in transition. You know, there's a new generation coming in, knocking at the door, and they want to steal the spots from the established guys. And that's where we are at right now. You know, this competition is going on. Um, so it, it will be a new face that you're going to see from that team probably in 2014. But at the same time, we need to get the results. And uh, um, coming out of Azteca with, uh, with a draw, with more than 10 injured players and, and three or four not even playing in Europe right now, um, I was really just happy for those, for those guys. Um, they kind of they stood tall, they uh, did their job and uh, showed tremendous character in that, in that fight there for 90 minutes and they deserved a, a huge compliment. I mean, I mentioned this, this notion of a team in transition because for an international manager, to create transition is a fascinating thing. You're trying to transition the team and win points to qualify them for the World Cup at the same time. And you only get to work with these guys for a couple of days before every game. They fly in from around the world. You've got the Euro veterans. You've got the German-speaking Bundesliga boys. You've got the Liga MX gents. You've got the kind of young MLS talents who are mostly inexperienced at the international level anyway. Can you d describe the process that you go through to create chemistry out of all of that in the short time available? Well, um, you're trying to read as much as you can when you have uh, the, the guys around you. And, and obviously chemistry is huge because chemistry is the backbone of every success of a, of a team sport. Um, but at the same time, you know, between those two World Cups, you know, these cycles, you have to try things out. You have to take some risks. You have to throw them in the cold water and see if, it can, if they can swim um, and you have to, to give them also a chance to integrate into a new uh, approach, into a new ph philosophy. And uh, um, so we just, every minute we learn something about the players when we have them. Unfortunately, when you have them only for two and a half days, like it was before the Honduras game, there's really, it's really difficult to make something happen, you know, and they are tired, they, you know, they're jet lagged, you know, and then you go into a 95 degrees environment, 95% humidity, and, and people on the TV, they think they should run up and down like, like like crazy, it's it's simply impossible. <laughs> but this this kind of a, um, a process is is, is super uh, tense for you as a coach because you are learning as much as the players learn, and and eventually when you then you know getting qualified and you go towards Brazil next next summer, um, you hopefully have a f far better idea of what the players are all about and who's next in line to get to get the call. This notion of change is really fascinating to me because, I mean, you're a great coach. You're a legendary player. I mean, a lot of Americans do not remember watching you as a player. I remember watching you come to Tottenham Hotspur. When you, were, when you arrived, you were one of the most despised men in England. You won them over that first game, scoring a goal, scoring again and again and again, and you made everyone believers, became player of the year, coach of Germany 2006. No one believed you then. Team came third. They were deeply unexpected too. There was the nosebleed. Uh, in, in Bayern Munich, a turbulent ending. But three years later, you picked up the task of coaching this U.S. team. It's less a football management job, it sounds like. It sounds more like a long-term kind of change management job. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a deep believer that oh, you can only get better if you do it differently to the, how it was before. If I would do the same thing that, you know, the coaches before me did, you know, then I think we would stay just on the same level. You know, maybe here and there with the quality of the players improving, you get a little bit better, but... I really believe that only if you 
give them a chance to get to another level and you tell them actually how they get to the next level we we were going to improve the overall program and this is this is my task you know i want to help to to elevate this program into the top 10 12 nations of the world in the long run this is huge and at the same time it's 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 just fantastic timing because you know so much is happening with soccer in this country you know you see obviously millions of kids now playing you know U.S. soccer introduced two, three years ago, the academy system. So we go away from the pay-per-play system. You know, we make it affordable for everybody to play. If they really have talent, it's all going to be scholarship. Um, and we are connected now. We are connected to the college system. We are connected, you know, to, uh, to lower division football from MLS. MLS doing a tremendous job. The league now is stable. Big, big financial people behind it. You know, soccer-specific stadiums, television contracts. You have now five, six TVs. TV stations around soccer. I mean, don't tell me what that was not there 15 years ago. <laughs> so that shows you how huge now soccer really became. And it has only one upside. It can only get bigger. When we last spoke, you said something that stayed with me. You said Americans, by their nature, are very ambitious people. They don't want to be number two. They want to be the best at whatever they do. And you said, do I know the end result if this will work out at the end of the day? You said, no, you have no guarantee about the result. When you do something differently, you have to take a little bit of risk, and that's what you love about it. What, what is the risk? Well, the, the risk is always the results at the end of the day. If you can't kind of underline everything you do in this change process with results and, and uh, with a positive outcome, then, then obviously people won't be happy, you know, and you might have to leave your job, you know, and... and and, and stop the process. But I think um, that the Federation, especially you know, our president, Sunil Gulati, he bought into that process because he says we want to elevate the game here. We want to get you know, in the 10, top 10, 12 nations in the world one day. So we have to do it on many different fronts. You know, we have to educate better coaches. You know, we have to develop better players. We have to develop them here also, homegrown players in the United States. You know. Our European-based players have to go into bigger clubs, you know, that we push them, you know, every week, you know, with comments. If it's a Glyn Dempsey to Tottenham or Michael Bradley to Ace Roma, you know, we have a German Jones at Schalke. We need them to play Champions League football in Europe to be with the best there. So on all those different fronts, it's just a huge working process. Being a manager of an international team is a massive task. You're overhauling a huge system. You're doing, it sounds like you're almost doing five. What, you, you're in California. 18 years, you're cozy, you've got the German 2006, what, what six under your belt, what motivated you to take all of this on, Jürgen, all of this? I mean, for, for me personally, the, the, really the, the inspiration is to, to help players to get to the next level, to work with people. I mean, it's all about people. You know, it's, it's uh, being a manager of a national team or even a big club team, it's about people management. Uh, but you, you yourself, you have to also fit into that environment, you know, and I fit into this environment here. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of half American, you know, obviously I have German roots. My wife is American. The kids are more American than Germans, even if they have both passports. And I grew up, uh, uh, not I grew up, but the kids grew up basically in the American system of, of soccer. And, and so I have a pretty good knowledge about, you know, how the game came along the last 15 years living here. And I see the the, the upside, upsides down the road, you know, if you can help to change a couple of things here. So you become automatically kind of a connector, connector between different pieces, uh, different entities. Um, and I love this type of work. But what I love most, most is really working with people and, and help them hopefully to elevate their game and to get to another level. So there is part of you that does feel American. Oh, absolutely. I mean, living here 15 years now, or 16, 
uh, absolutely you take a lot from from that culture where you live in as I did when I was a player I played in Italy and France and in England you learn from every culture so what mainly what you learn is you take the people the way they are and not and not the way you want them to be this kind of more the German approach is you know <laughs> I want the people to be the way I want them it's not working you know once you move out uh, outside of your your environment you leave the, the country um, you have to just really learn to accept them the way they are so I have to accept the way you know um, soccer is made in the United States you know I have to accept that I have to adjust to it I can't come in with my European approach and say it has to be this way no it's not working here because uh, Americans think differently they have they have a different eye on things you know it's a multi-sport environment here the kids grow up with baseball basketball football you know lacrosse and all these other sports so you've got to figure out a way you may make soccer more attractive to to the kids to the people and hopefully that they stick with the game uh, which is happening more and more so we, we're going to develop a lot lot more talent coming out of the united states i mean talking about feeling american understanding americans uh, your opening press conference 20 months ago off quoted you said one of my challenges will be to find a way to define how a u.s team should represent its country what will be its style of play you talked about more proactive aggressive forward thinking or is it a more reactive style of play we're now three games into the hex the hex um, U.S. is looking pretty robust. It's an all-for-one, one-for-all, you could say, at the Azteca. No thrills. They gutted it out in, in Denver against Costa Rica in the snow. Costa Rica in the snow. How would you describe the style you found, and how has it surprised you? Well, that, that is still in, pro, uh, uh, in process. I mean, um, obviously, our wish is overall to start playing with the best in the world, so not defending only against the best in the world. So we would like to push up our back line, we would like to play more in their halves, uh, we like to keep more possession of the ball, we like to not kick long balls, meaning playing out of the back, starting with the goalkeeper, all those uh, things are on our wish list and then we're working on it. For doing that at the end of the day you need to have the belief as well, but also the quality. Uh, so by improving hopefully the quality one step at a time and, and, and getting also more belief in what you're doing, meaning getting results you know, in games like in Mexico or last year we, we beat Italy in Italy or we tied Russia in Russia. These are all games that help the players then to actually to start believing that they can play with those nations, you know. So this is this is a, a long process and, you know, some games will look better from a style of play point of view and some like now at Azteca where you just have to get out there with a grinding 0-0 in order to get the point. Um, so it's... It's it's a tense process. It's it's fun. It, it is know. a tense process. And and in the past, when we've spoken, you've talked about a methodology of pushing players outside of their comfort zones, really pushing them to maximise their potential. And I'm fascinated. The run up to the Costa Rica game, surrounded by the turbulence of the anonymous attacks, uh, the sporting news, which you've addressed at record uh, on the record at great length. Um, but one of the things you said fascinated me. You said, "I'm not here to pamper anybody." If you want to break into one of the best 10 to 12 nations in the world, I have to challenge them. Maybe some players are not always happy with that. I mentioned how do you balance kind of pushing these players into comfort zone, out of their comfort zones, which is by definition an awkward experience for them, and and keep them believing in that that kind of forward vision. Well, I, I think it's it's something human that that happens there. Obviously, you know, you reach a certain level as a as a player. 
um, you know, you want to hold on to it. You want to kind of settle with it. You know, you make good money, you play for a good club, <laughs> um, and you think actually you, you, you made it, you know. But when you talk about a World Cup and you talk about the players that we have, none of these players ever made it. Uh, so my job is to get to raise the bar next year in Brazil. So now I can only do that if I move them out of their comfort zone, take it, the, the kind of that, that settlement away from them and tell them, no, you know what, there's another level. Then, then once you reach that level, there's another level. So to get there, it's only gonna it's only gonna happen if you are if you're ready to challenge yourself, you know. And so, in in certain phases of that transition process. Uh, you won't have everybody on board. You know, you will have complaints. You will have, they're whining. You know, they don't want to train more, and 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 uh, uh, it's 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 not easy for them. But you also have to understand them. I know where they're coming from. You know, why they think that way. Because I've played the game myself for 20 years, and I thought often I'm I'm not pretty <laughs> pretty good. You know, and where where I'm at, and then I saw no, there's actually another level that I can reach. Um, so, so it's a lot of communication with the players. It's a lot of explaining. It's it's a lot of making them understand that soccer really, once you choose it as your profession, is a 24/7 commitment. Um, and especially the players in Europe, they live it more because their social environment will tell them that every day. If you lose a game, Tottenham against Arsenal, you're not going out on the street for the next three days. Um, I don't think that because, anybody is because bothered. you don't want to face yeah. the fans. You're saying because the fans will go in straight in your face, you know, and tell you <laughs> why did you screw up yesterday night? You know, you you screwed up my whole week now, um, and and they don't experience that yet in the U United States because it's not socially so so deep yet. Um, so we have to make them accountable for what they're doing, you know, uh, and 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 here and there you will get a critical comment. Here and there you will. You know, get somebody upset, you know, which is pretty, pretty good. But it also shows you now these type of discussions that that we never had before. That people care, you know, and I don't really care if they're on the same page with me because uh, uh, that's what football is all, soccer is all about. Different opinions, you know. Everybody yeah. would send a different lineup on the field. Everybody would invite different players to the national team, um, and that is cool. But it shows you now the interest is growing. You know, they care about it. Uh, and we just try to make our players accountable for that process. You know, be accountable what you're doing. If you think you're gonna go out until four at night, you know, in a bar and have you know, whatever five beers, then you will pay the price. You oh, know? Believe me, I know that lesson all too well, Jurgen. <laughs> <laughs> is there, is there, um, we're 20 months in. Is there anything that, with hindsight, you wish you'd done differently? Well, I mean, you you learn um, as as a coach with every game, you know. And when we had that schedule going into Honduras as the first game, looking backwards, I should have maybe taken you know a group of players out of MLS already ten days earlier, going into Honduras, adjust them to the climate, and and then add the European players coming in with two days in advance and just look at them and see where they are. Maybe leaving some of them out and have the MLS players, you know, play the more MLS players play the game because they were adjusted to the climate. This is huge, you know, but that's also a learning curve. Also for me, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I've been to most of the countries in Central America. I know what to expect, but Honduras, similar to what actually uh, Mexico a couple of weeks later than experienced was, was extreme, was really extreme. To get a result there um, under those conditions is, is a nail biter. Two words, Jürgen, Kyle Beckerman. They, they love him on our show. Um, you definitely had some unusual gambits. I mean, the, talking about uh, Clint to Matt Futterman, Wall Street Journal, a couple of months later, he's the U.S. captain. Like, what happened in between those kind of the, those time periods in terms of the, like your, your, your thinking about Clint Dempsey? 
Well, Clint is uh, equipped with a God-given talent. He's an extremely good player. Uh, so now what you want from him is to understand you know, how good he is uh, and where he actually needs to improve still. Uh, and he's now kind of getting close to 30, he's 29, where you wish then as a coach that he takes over more responsibility. Now, Clint is not the, the spokesperson. He's not going out there and running the, the press conferences. He is leading by example. That's what I tried now to give him the captaincy. I try to kind of move him out of his kind of uh, um, yeah, laid-back approach, maybe a little bit in the background. I bring him up front and say, hey, I don't expect you to talk all the time, but I expect you to lead by example, you know, to kind of carry this team with your quality because everybody admires you. Everybody wants to be where you are. Um, you had to work very hard to get where you are, you know, and, and you deserve it. But now to carry this team into into 2014 into Brazil um, takes a lot more. So this is the intention. Him being captain is have him lead by example. You know, which he already did against Costa Rica and in Mexico. He he ran it. You know, his backside off and he helped out defensively. He was all over the place. Maybe he sacrificed in that moment his attacking talent. You know, scoring. But uh, uh, this is huge. Now talking Kyle Beckerman is if you want to talk about a role model, you talk about Kyle Beckerman. Kyle is, is an example for every player out there. His dedication is a thousand percent. His commitment is a thousand percent. He gives you everything he has once he steps on the field. And even like Costa Rica, you step him on the field for two minutes. In <laughs> two minutes, he, what, gave, two minutes? He, he gave you a snow battle. For two, I, mean, I think he touched more balls than other ones in a whole half <laughs> uh, in those two minutes. So you need players like Kyle to create a, a giving environment, to create an environment where the chemistry is huge and, and everybody supports each other because he does that. It's just that, that character that, that is giving you everything he has every single minute. And if you call him at 3 o'clock at night and say we're going to play you know, a pick-up pick up game at Times Square, he will be there. He's a, he's a true <laughs> war pig, that man. The, the, the couple of quick questions about the future, kind of envisioning the, um, the next 10, 15 20 years. One of our listeners, at Adam the Red, wanted to ask you, where do you see U.S. soccer in 10 years' time? Will we have big players who play for big teams in big tournaments in the big moments? That's what we want to see. Yeah? We want to see you know, players coming through the, the American system and being able to break into the big clubs in the world, in, mainly in, in Europe, and play Champions League football. This is a, one of our goals. We need to have them in Champions League teams because that's where the music is played, really, you know, outside of the World Cup cycles. Um, and then we want to improve coaches' education. We want to improve player development in the U.S. We want to uh, uh, go away from the pay-per-play system. We want to make it affordable for everybody because at the end of the day, soccer is a lower-class sport no matter what. Here they turn the pyramid a bit upside down because you have to pay for it. So it drove mostly middle-class or even upper-class kids into the sport. We need the lower-class kids because it's all about the inner hunger that you have to have in order to make it through the ranks in, in soccer. So on many different fronts, you know, we can improve the game here in the, in the United States, and we will eventually get better by doing all those things. You know, What's eventually, Jürgen? I mean, are we talking about five years? 10 years, 20 years? About ta talent development, player development, you're talking about 10, 15 years. That's not happening overnight. But a lot of things are laid out now in a much better way already. I think you see in certain ways already good results over the next couple of years with a lot of talents coming through. 
I mean, look, look at where, how the national team is built now. Probably we have 70-80% players in Europe. That's never been the case ever before. Um, we have a, a new situation with dual citizenship players around the world. You know, if it's German-Americans, if it's Argentinian-Americans, obviously a lot of Mexican-Americans, mm -hmm. we reach out to those players and see how committed they really are playing for the U.S., if they want to play for the U.S., and then what qualities do they give us, you know, imp to improve uh, the program. Uh, it's going to be, it's a fascinating story because it happened before if it's, you know, Brazil, if it's, if it's uh, France, if it's Germany, if it's other nations, you know, they added suddenly players, you know, that are just on a different page because they grew up in a, in a soccer-specific environment, you know, and kicked the ball around four or five hours a day when they were little. And we want to wish that, you know, we don't miss out on an ex-Giuseppe Rossi who plays for Italy now and grew up in, 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 in Jersey. Um, we want to make sure that that next kid, you know, is not choosing another country over the U.S. if I mean, he's playing for It's funny, Germany to America has become like Poland and Turkey to Germany. But, I, I, I mean, so when you look at the caliber of the American soccer players that you're dealing with, do you, do you believe we're really dealing with the best athletes America has to offer, or particularly from the African-American, the Latin communities? I think I think there's so much more out there. I think we're missing on a lot of talent out there, um, but we have to inspire the the next generation. We have to inspire the kids to choose to choose soccer as their game, um, and uh, not doing damage to any other sports. You know, we have respect for all the big sports in the U.S., but we want we want the best you know athletes playing playing soccer down the road. And and I think in a lot of Hispanic communities, we haven't reached into there yet in order to find the best talents. You know. I mean, Mexican clubs are scouting our best, you know, Mexican Americans away. I mean, they're just 13, 14 years old. You know, they they're, they're taking them down to Mexico, play for big clubs there, until we find out that there's actually an American passport. Um, <laughs> and and uh, and therefore, we just need keep on working on all those things, you know, and 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 eventually, you know, we're gonna get better. I'm interested how you get your head around these massive systemic challenges. You were an elite striker. You few players could put the ball in the back of the net like you in the 80s and the 90s but in terms of change management cultural change who are you learning from I mean I know you spent time here with Phil Jackson Pete Carroll kind of American coaches but who are your kind of gurus that help you think your way through these problems well I, I mean I was very blessed uh, during my playing time to have huge and, and tremendous coaches working with me uh, if it's Arsene Wenger at AS Monaco now, obviously more than 10 years at Arsenal. I had Cesar Luis Menotti, you know, I, oh, had, I had Rapatoni, I had Behagel, I had Beckenbauer, Ossi Adil is another World Cup winner. I Ari Hahn. Uh, Ari Hahn from Holland. I learned from all of them, you know. There's no perfect coach out there. I'm not the perfect one. They were neither. And, and I ended up in some arguments with a lot of big <laughs> names. Um, but, you know, all I'm really trying to do is to to figure out where the players are right now and how to help them to get to another level. Um, I think I can bring a lot of credibility uh, to the table for these players because I know where a Glenn Dempsey is right now and a Michael Bradley is right now. I know the environments. I played in those countries. I, I know their coaches. That's my generation of coaches now out there. Um, so hopefully I can help them. But uh, um, the task is not done by me, myself only. I mean, this is a huge task that 
all of U.S. soccer people are working on. You know, in all the different departments, uh, we want to improve the game here. This is our our mission. You know, working closely with all the other entities, especially MLS here, uh, which doing doing a tremendous great job. Um, and get connected to the youth level, get connected college game, get connected coaches education. Um, there are a lot of people involved in that process. I'm just one of those people. Oh, but, but it's, it's you're, you're a very it's fun, modest man. man. You, you are you are the figurehead. I mean, your change man change is always difficult. I, I remember when you were in the run up to the 2006 World Cup. The New York Times wrote a piece about you. Things were not going well with the German squad in the run up, and the New York Times said. Uh, Klinsmann was blamed for everything from poisoning German soccer to grinning too much to undermining the brittle economy. You ended up having the last laugh. The team came third, deeply unexpected. But I mean, Tony Poulis, the Stoke coach, he said this week, you don't understand what it's like to be a coach. You wake up some nights thinking about some things you want to do. Nobody knows what managers go through. Your mind is nonstop. It keeps flickering. You just can't switch it off. Do you, do you relate to that? I mean, how do you relax? Oh no, I, I'm I'm pretty relaxed because I'm I'm living that since more than thirty years. So I find some ways, you know, to relax and and focus on the family and the kids. And Are you a and golfer? You a stunt collector? No, I'm not a golfer. I, I love to fly helicopters in my spare time. You hear that, Tony Poulis? Tony Poulis listens to the show. Helicopter. <laughs> that gives me kind of a sense of getting away from it, you know, and focus on something to- totally different. Um, but uh, I mean, you need to love it too. I mean, if you don't have the love for it then do something different. It definitely, and I understand coaches when you get burned out, and I was really tired after the 2006 World Cup, grinding it for two years. I had, I think, more than 40 overseas flights. I commuted between <laughs> Los Angeles and, and Frankfurt because helicopter. I couldn't. Uh, not with the helicopter. Yeah. But but uh, um, you need to find ways you know, to balance yourself out. Uh, and at the end of the day, you, you need to make sure that you don't think that you're the most important piece in that. <laughs> you are not. You know, you're just one of the guys that help to to elevate it and hopefully make it better and you give the best you can can do. At the end of the day, it's a player's game. I think this is really important for people to know. You know, players make the decisions on the field. Uh, you can guide them towards, you know, the game. You can give them a lot of input, but then you have to back off. You know, once they start the game, you've got to let them do their job. You know, you got to make them believe in themselves beforehand, but then they make the decisions. And this is the, the beauty of soccer is players make the decisions on the field. It's not the coach. You, you have three substitutions, but that's it. You know, and you have a little halftime talk. Kyle Beckerman and two others. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but but uh, it, it is, it, there's always a question mark before every game. You know, it's unpredictable, this game, and that makes it so, 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 so cool because you don't know what the future brings you. I mean, I, I mean, hopefully you're going to be a successful. We're going to qualify for Brazil and hopefully we play a tremendous tournament in Brazil, but nobody can guarantee you that. And if it doesn't work out, you just have to, to take responsibility and say, you know what, I gave it my shot, I gave it my best, but it was not good enough, so move on with somebody else. And and uh, uh, But at the end of the day, you've got to just enjoy when they play, when they maybe score, when they do a tremendous play. Uh, and, uh, and this is what I love then. You know, when I see them kind of feeling that they actually can do it, that they do stuff that they did maybe in training, they don't think that I can do that at a steak stadium in front of 110,000 crazy Mexicans, you know, and a couple of hundred <laughs> Americans there. And they come out there and you see their, their, their smile, the biggest smile on their faces and said, we did it, you know. This, these are the moments you live for. So, um, so, no. so, so it is unexpected and it is unpredictable, but dream with me, Jürgen, dream with me. It's June 2014. We're in Sao Paulo, Brazil. 
There's 5,000 American outlaws who are supporting the team. Can you paint the, the best scenario picture for the US men's national team? What, are, what, are we, what can we hope for? What can we dream about? Well, we, uh, we want to challenge ourselves. I mean, we want to go and, and pass the, the group stage definitely like, you know, it happened most of the time before. But then I want the team to be ready that is, is going in a knockout stage, being convinced that you can beat any team out there. You know, and not only in a friendly game like we did last year in Italy, one of the best teams in the world, or, you know, Thai Russia, or going to that Seca Stadium, winning there actually last summer. I want, hopefully, to see a team with all the U.S. soccer fans that believes in themselves to say, we're going to take it now one game at a time, and we're going to take everybody on and see where we end up. So we want to stay a long time in Brazil then. Um, please let those be the words of a prophet. Jürgen Klinsmann. Let's wish U.S. soccer, first of all, Mazel Tov on the first 100 years that you're celebrating this week. Uh, we know our listeners are behind you. We're looking forward not just to the next 100 years. Honestly, we're looking forward to the next kind of 12 months, a great 12 months for U.S. soccer. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Roger. Appreciate it. What a bloke. What a bloke. Not only are the Von Trapps in great hands, but it sounds like Carl Beckerman better not make too many plans. For June 2014, if you know what I mean. Devo, we missed you. We missed your positivity. We can say Men in Blazers will be back in its full suboptimal glory next week. Until then, follow us on Twitter at Rog Bennett, at Embassy Davis for Devo. Send your ravens to meninblazers at gmail.com. Believe in the Von Traps and Kung Fu Fighting America. We'd like to thank you for listening to today's show. For more great podcasts, check out the Pod Center page at ESPNRadio.com. Okay. <sighs>